Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. read uh, an article in Relevant Magazine called The Five Friends You Need to Stay in Touch With Right Now. Maintaining friendships has never been harder. It's also never been more important, is the subhead. Uh, Kristen Howerton is the author. Uh, Kristen argues that um, the, the five relationships or the types of friends that everyone you know has to have right now needs to keep in touch with. Number one, someone who is older and wiser. Number two, someone who is younger. Number three, someone who has uh, a different home culture than you. Um, Maybe somebody outside your neighborhood or outside your social location, but still a person who shares your worldview. So I think of this as sort of the brother and sister in Christ category. Um, Four, someone who holds a different worldview. That's this is gets to the missionary mindset. You got to have a friend. You got to have somebody in your sphere um, who who's not a Christian like not operating out of a Christian worldview. Um, And then number five, someone just next door, a literal neighbor. All right, so um, those observations are good and interesting. It made me recall one of my favorite books of all time by Leonard Sweet, um, The 11 Indispensable Relationships You Can't Live Without. And in that book, Leonard Sweet talks about uh, the indispensable 11. And the 11, um, he, you know, he, he shares them. Everybody needs an editor. Um, he uses Nathan as an example of that. Everyone needs a true friend. Uh, there he talks about Jonathan. Everybody needs what Leonard Sweet calls a butt kicker. Uh, and he uses Jethro as an example of that. Everybody needs an error. Um, and that is the person into whom you are, uh, that's going to be your legacy of faith. Everybody needs a legacy of faith person. He uses Timothy as an example there. Everyone needs an encourager. Uh, that would be Barnabas. Everybody needs a Yoda. Um, he talks there about Peter and Paul. Everybody needs somebody to cover your back. Who's got your back? He uses Deborah as the example there. Um, everybody needs a reject. Uh, one of your indispensable relationships has to be a reject. And there he uses Zacchaeus. Um, obviously, that's a redemptive relationship, but it's a good example. Everyone needs a little one. There, um, the reference is to Rhoda. Um, and then everybody needs, you know, rich and poor. Uh, everybody needs um, VIPs, and he uses Lydia and Lazarus uh, in that conversation. And then the 11th indispensable relationship is actually a place. And there Leonard Sweet talks about the importance of place, and Jerusalem is uh, the biblical example that he uses. And and then he talks about the invisible 12th man, or the invisible 12th relationship. This is actually, this should be number one, because you and I have as our most indispensable relationship, a relationship with God in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the paraclete, the Holy Spirit of the living God, is the invisible 12th indispensable relationship that really is the first one. And so let me just encourage you to consider your relationships today. Um, Consider not only the relationships that you have within your physical household, but within the household of faith. Consider the relationships that you have that reach beyond uh, your household and the household of faith into the world that God so loves. 
and consider your relationship today with the living God. Check on, uh, check on that indispensable relationship with the Holy Spirit today. First up this morning, we've got uh, Dr. Linda Mental. She and I are going to talk about cultivating peace in these anxious times. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Cultivating peace during these anxious times. Dr. Linda Mental is back with us today. You know her from the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You also know her as the Relationship Doctor. You can find her online at drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back. Always good to talk to you, Carmen. How are you doing this morning? I, I am well. It is well with my soul. Good. Yeah, how about you? Well, I'm a, I'm a little bit relieved. Um, I had someone in my family who test, who's who was exposed to someone that was positive for COVID, but they tested negative. So that was a really good thing. But I think that's part of what we're, we're ta- you and I are going to be talking about because there's a lot of things that are going on in our culture that can make you very, very anxious these days. And certainly we're all very aware of all the, the COVID-related issues, whether it's going back to school, whether it's trying to decide if you should go on a vacation, if you should go to a restaurant, if you should expose yourself to other people in terms of socially um, while distancing, all of those things make uh, life a little bit difficult. And sometimes it creates a lot of anxiety for people. So let's just start with the, the maybe the most basic of questions. What is anxiety? So anxiety is really a, a feeling. It's a it's a physiological process as well because your body gets revved up in the process of feeling anxious, usually resulting um, from some type of trigger about fear or you're worried about something or there's an event that makes you very uncertain. Um, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Uh, so that's a big part of it. And And that's one of the reasons why anxiety is spiking so much right now is because there's so much uncertainty and unpredictability uh, in things. And one of the reactions that the body goes into is this sort of, you know, fight or flight reaction. Our our sympathetic nervous system gets activated. You know, we get we get worried, which is the mental part of anxiety, actually. And we get very anxious feeling. Uh, it's one thing to be anxious now and then and to have an anxiety moment versus a clinical uh, you know, disorder of anxiety, which is where you're constantly feeling that, that anxiety in terms of it's interfering with your everyday life and you're feeling a lot of distress over that. If I am on um, like a physical roller coaster at an amusement park and we are on, we're going up, we're on the upward climb, is what I am feeling anxiety? Yeah. And that can be activating. So the positive side of that is because you're going into survival mode, you know, at least I would be on the up part going, oh boy, we have to go down. (laughs) This is not fun. I'm not a roller coaster person. So I'm not really, okay, good. Um, And I, and I, so I'm like, why am I doing this? Because there's a, there's an anxiety about you're out of control. I mean, you're just going down that thing. And of course, I'm thinking about the times when, you know, they go off the tracks and all this kind of stuff, which is what prompts even more anxiety. But there's an activating part. You know, when you get into a situation where you're feeling uncertainty, out of control, 
um, you know, anxious about that, that anxiety can be activating, can move you into that fight mode. So you want to be anxious. You you walk around the corner of your, your yard and you see a snake, you're going to spike some anxiety. You're either going to fight and go after that snake with a shovel and cut off its head, or you're going to run and flee. And one of the things we have to be careful with in our nervous system is that we don't allow anxiety to overwhelm us and get to the point where we just freeze and then we eventually shut down and we're living in a constant state of fear. Our world gets very, very small with anxiety if it overwhelms us. So into this conversation, you and I want to bring Christ to bear. Um, and we want to bring peace. He is the one who is the peace who passes all understanding. He is the one who says, peace be with you. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Um, we are supposed to be people who sow peace. We're supposed to be peacemakers, makers of peace. Talk with us about um, peace. Well, it's it's like you said, we have peace with God, first of all, because of what Christ did on the cross. So we have been reconciled to God. So we have this peace relationship with God. And uh, I, I'm in a church that also, when, when we used to be congregating and we could touch each other, we would give the peace to each other. So we would greet each other with the peace of Christ. And it's a reminder that we have this peace with God and that we are in community with each other. And in the, on the Sermon of the Mount, if you remember, one of the um, things Jesus says in that sermon is that we are to be peacemakers and that peacemakers are the children of God. So we're supposed to be reconciled to God first and then reconciled to each other as we move forward. But we also have a type of peace that is in our hearts that calms that anxiety because of that relationship with God. And one of the things that I, I listened to a wonderful sermon this weekend from um, Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, with Pastor Simbola, and he preached on Second Chronicles, uh, I don't remember exactly the reference, it was 1 through 15, I think it was chapter 17, I can't remember exactly, but it was the story of Jehoshaphat. And um, Jehoshaphat was getting ready to fight a battle. He knew that all the ites, I, this is a very edited version of the story, but he knew that all the ites were coming against him and they were going to be just, you know, in this massive battle. And I, I love this story because what, what pastor was going through the story, what happened is that Jehoshaphat began to pray and he just recognized that I'm not, I'm not able to deal with this. Um, God is powerful. God rules. I'm a child of God. He rules everything. He has the power. Then he says, basically in the prayer, I have no power. And then he says, and I don't know what to do. And I love that part because in that prayer that Jehoshaphat says, he's basically fighting a battle. And we're all in a battle right now with a virus. We're in a battle with our family. Sometimes we're in a battle with so many things in our culture, racial unrest, everything. And so Jehoshaphat basically says, I have no power and I don't know what to do. And I don't know about you, but I have felt that way so many times with all the confusion about what's accurate, what's not accurate in terms of the virus. And then he says, but we're going to put our eyes on you. And he says, we're going to have great expectancy in that process um, that God, you know what to do. You are the ruler of all things. You have, you have this under your control and then there's, it's an amazing story if, you, if you've never read it in the Old Testament, because basically they go into praise and worship. 
they don't even touch the enemy and the enemy is killing each other and they're all falling and they win the battle and there's so much of the spoils that they have, they take it away. And it was all because they really did put their trust in the Lord. And I think that's such a good story for today. It's true that a lot of times with anxiety, we feel out of control. We don't know what to do. And we need to, instead of running around trying to figure out all kinds of solutions, I mean, I think it's good to problem solve. That's always a good step with anxiety. If you can problem solve something, that usually makes you feel less anxious. But there are times when we just can't. And I think we're in one of those times where we don't know the answers to so many things. But you know, God does. And so because of that peace that we have with Christ, we can say, God, you know, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to put my eyes on you and I'm going to expect that you're going to show up in this situation and you're going to make a way or you're going to show me what to do or you're going to speak to me just like you did to the people around Jehoshaphat where the Holy Spirit came on them and they, they prophesied. And that is a that is that put the whole village or whatever they're called back then, I guess, tribe into a, a state of peace. They were praising God and watching God fight the battle. So one of the keys to anxiety really is to transfer your anxiety to God and to say, God, the battle is yours. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do, but you do. I love that story. Um, and so let's be sure we give people the reference. Second Chronicles, uh, it, it starts, Jehoshaphat's story in Scripture starts in uh, Second Chronicles 17, verse 1. It actually extends through the, 20, the first verse of the 21st chapter. Um, Jehoshaphat is in the lineage of Jesus, uh, as chronicled in Matthew chapter 1. Um, and yeah, I just, that's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Hey, uh, Dr. Linda Mintel and I will return to our conversation in just a moment. We've got to take a very brief break. Um, we're going to continue talking about what it looks like to be anxious for nothing. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, we're talking about um, ooh, something that's on lots of our hearts and minds uh, right now, and that is anxiety uh, and the anxious uh, thoughts and wonderings that we are having about uh, about many, many things right now. I mean, going back to school, uh, every time I think that I've got a handle on what's going to happen uh, in terms of going back to school where we live, um, hmm, the plan is the plan has changed. And so uh, learning to live with that has been um, has been challenging. And, and then helping kids live in the midst of, of the unknown and the uncertainty and having to change plans uh, on an almost constant basis um, is anxiety producing in our homes as well. So, Dr. Linda Mental, let's continue this conversation. You know, Scripture tells us to be anxious for nothing, um, but with prayer and supplication, make all of our concerns known to God. And he loves us and he's concerned for us. Um, uh, and I'm, and I don't want to you know say beyond prayer because that's but what are some other coping skills or coping mechanisms that we can use particularly with our kids when anxiety is rising? Yeah, and I think I think it's good that we break this down into some real practical steps. Um, I'm gonna let me talk in a minute about what you do with an anxious thought. Just 
what you do step by step with that. But also just to remind people that when you're really feeling anxious, especially kids feeling anxious, exercise is a really good way to get rid of anxiety. So sometimes we don't think of these lifestyle things of getting out, getting, um, you know, exercise, uh, distracting from the moment, doing something different, uh, making sure if you're an adult that you're not drinking too much caffeine because caffeine actually prompts anxiety, triggers it in a lot of people. So again, eating better, getting good sleep, people get more anxious when they don't get sleep. So lifestyle is really important during a time when things are very uncertain. But if you're going to deal with anxious thoughts, so let's talk about those worried thoughts. I wrote a book on this called Letting Go of Worry. Um, one of the things we need to understand about anxious thoughts is this. You don't want to try to suppress those thoughts when they come into your mind. So the worst thing you can do is just keep going. I, I can't think about that. I can't. Don't, don't think about that. And, and you keep trying to push it away. What we know about anxiety is that it's better just to let the, the anxious thought come into your mind. You just kind of observe it. You see it. You know it's there. You're, you see it but you don't get panicked with it. And what you do then is you take that anxious thought and you replace it with something that is much more um, God-given. So you you look at the thought and you think maybe the thought is something like, Oh, I'm I'm never gonna be I'm never gonna be okay about going sending my kids to school. Let's just use that one since you brought it up. You have to look at that thought and go, okay, I need to replace that thought with something more um, more rational and more true in terms of God is going to help me through this process. We're going to continue to pray as a family. We're going to listen and discern. I think this is so important in today's world that we get much deeper in our relationship with God so we can listen, we can discern what we are to do. Because I really believe, Carmen, if we talk to the Lord and we ask him for direction and we ask for wisdom, this is what the Bible says. He's going to give it to us and he's going to give it to us in, a, in an ample way. So you take that thought and you say, God is going to help us through this. He's going to help us with those decisions. And you take that thought captive. You, you can find that anxious thought and you replace it with something that is more true. And then, like I said, if you can problem solve in the middle of that, so you get more information from the school, you get more information about what the CDC recommendations are, you listen to what they're doing to try to make things safe and productive, and um, you know all the things that you can take control of, you take control of that, and then you begin to pray and just say, okay, God, help us now. But I think it does help to stay centered in the moment. So rather than letting your mind always go to the future, for this moment, God, we're going to focus on what you've given us, what's happening now, what we can do, and how we can move forward. And it's really important to do this so that your your autonomic nervous system doesn't get hijacked. Your brain your brain can easily hijack the thinking part of your brain when you get anxious. And we have to work very much on keeping our bodies and our minds uh, relaxed. And again, we know I can we just know scripture after scripture, you know. The mind that is set on Christ is a mind that will be kept in peace. So focusing your thoughts on God, because worry is actually built in doubt. Worry says that you're doubting God in a sense. That's why God says, don't worry about anything, because he's saying, put your trust in me. Let me help you with this. Ask me for wisdom. Ask me what you need to do next and then walk with me in this. And, you know, you can't you can't make everything a perfect situation. I mean, there are going to be times when we don't we don't always have the best information in front of us or we don't. But there's grace and God will help us and, and walk us through things.
Dr. Linda Mental, thank you so very much. I encourage people to visit Dr. Linda at drlindamental.com. Uh, that is one place that you can find the book to which she referred, Letting Go of Worry, and lots of other resources as well. Uh, Linda, thanks so much for joining us again today. We really appreciate it. Great to be with you. We'll be right back. So we're going to do a little bit of a round the world with David Aikman up next. We're going to talk about the proposed U.S. withdrawal or drawdown of troops in Germany. We're also going to hit some other European headlines uh, related to the coronavirus. Uh, we're going to touch on the postponement of elections in Hong Kong um, and bring you up to date on what's going on in Nigeria. All that next on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lakato. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again? You must be kidding. But life in reverse? We can't be born again. Oh, but wouldn't we like to? A try again, a reload. How can this be? Jesus answers in John 3:16, The hope diamond of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. <laughs> a 26-word parade of hope. If you know nothing in the Bible, start here. If you know everything about the Bible, return here. He loves, he gave, we believe, we live. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. John 3:16. This is Max Lucado. My name is Bond, James Bond. Joining me now, Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, Carmen. Nice to be on the program again. Woo, you and I have a lot to cover today. So let's start in, um, well, we're going to start in Germany. I have two uh, storylines I'd like to talk with you about um, out of Germany. The first one is the proposed U.S. drawdown of troops in Germany. Um, and let me just tell you, David, the question that I am hearing an increasing number of people asking is this. Why do we even have troops in Germany? Certainly, why do we have that many? The world and warfare are very, very different than, let's say, 50 years ago. So make the case. Well, the case for troops in Germany goes back to the foundation of NATO in 1949. And if you remember why it was founded, the Soviet troops, the Soviet army had basically isolated West Berlin or the free part of Berlin from the rest of Germany. So they were making it extremely difficult to get supplies and troops and equipment into Berlin. And as a result, that led to the Berlin airlift that lasted, I think, about 14 months and ended in 1949. And the Berlin airlift was a serious indication of how dangerously isolated Berlin could become. And in fact, what a serious threat to the whole of Western European security was posed by the Soviet Union and Soviet troops. And on the whole, the presence of German troops, of sorry, of 
NATO troops, particularly American troops in Germany, has been a bulwark against any possible Soviet attack um, into Western Europe. And there have been threats of this attack in several periods of time since NATO was founded back in 1949. So it's a very important bulwark of security in Northern Europe. Okay, and then over the weekend in Berlin, since we uh, have this city at the center of the conversation right now, thousands, I mean, these pictures are extraordinary. Thousands of people participated in something that organizers called a day of freedom, the end of the pandemic. A large crowd of people um, have this sit-in in Berlin, many of them not wearing masks, uh, no no real effort at social distancing. Um, and all of this in the midst of uh, a real upsurge in coronavirus cases uh, across across the world. That's right. I mean, it's amazing how people seem to feel that they can take part in political protests if it's politically correct to do so, in spite of the fact that they're supposed to keep social distancing and not to have large numbers of people in the same space. So I think that the upsurge in the coronavirus cases is quite serious all over the world everywhere from Hong Kong to Brazil to the United States, and, of course, most recently to the U.K. Many countries are really suffering from an upsurge of a new wave of the virus infections. So I'm reading a headline here uh, from Australia, uh, the declaration of a state of disaster locking down millions of people in Melbourne to fight um, a soaring coronavirus outbreak there. Um, reading, as you have just alluded to, uh, in in England, uh, Boris Johnson is pausing England's uh, coronavirus reopening because of an uptick in cases. Um, we have news out of Spain that is uh, that is not good. Um, coronavirus uh, Spain drives fears of European second wave. There are some saying it's not a second wave. It's just a wave that hasn't actually crested. Um, and then I am turning a southern to South Africa, coronavirus bounces back where it had been knocked out. That is a headline uh, on Axios out of South Africa. Give me your sense from where you are. Um, Australia, Hong Kong, Vietnam, Japan, Germany, Spain, Belgium, Catalonia. I mean, on and on and on and on. These headlines are pretty extraordinary. Have you ever seen anything like this in terms of a shared experience around the world? No, none of us has seen a a global pandemic of this nature. And the only possible um, equivalent in earlier times was the SARS pandemic back in the early 2000s. But the coronavirus pandemic has spread up and down all the continents of the world. And it's been particularly dangerous in communities, first of all, where there are many elderly people, and secondly, where there are poor people, and ordinary folks cannot separate themselves from close proximity with others with whom they have to um, do their commercial transactions. So it's, it's a very dangerous situation globally, 
and I don't see any short-term remedy for it. Do you have any sense—I mean, I know we, we kind of have a sense of what's happening in churches here in the U.S. Do you have any sense, David, of what is happening um, at churches, it, it, you know, near where you live? Well, yes. Uh, churches here can operate, uh, but they can't sing. And not being allowed to sing, of course, is a terrible restriction when you're in a place to worship. And uh, the— the sense is that if you gather people in a, an enclosed space, uh, the likelihood is that they will infect each other if they have the virus. And even if they're completely asymptomatic, they may infect other people. So the, uh, the overall impact upon worship has been catastrophic worldwide. And I don't think it's any different from Australia to South Africa to North America. So I have a um, I have a friend who has reached out to uh, the Quaker community near where he lives um, to uh, you know to talk with them about the resources related to silent worship. I just thought that was an interesting. It's interesting the people that we call upon um, maybe to you know help us consider how we could still gather and worship together, um, right. but to do so in ways that are uh, far less talkative than most of us are used to. Uh, the Word being the center of worship for most uh, Protestant Christians. All right, David Aikman and I will return to our conversation in just a moment. We are going to uh, pivot to a conversation about what's going on in Nigeria, and then we are going to talk about the postponement of elections in Hong Kong. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with David Aikman, he and I survey world events, bring the gospel to bear. Be sure that you, as our brothers and sisters in Christ, are aware of uh, the plight of Christians around the world, and that turns our attention now to Nigeria. Um, David, remind us uh, about the status uh, of things in Nigeria. Remind us uh, about um, the Fulani herdsmen, Islamic extremist militants, just the reality that Christians live in. And then, you know, I'm going to let you share this very dire news with our audience today. Well, Nigeria is Africa's most populous country, and it's about 50 percent Christian and 50 percent Muslim. The Muslims are in the north of the country. And that's where there have been savage attacks on Christian communities for many years. And in spite of requests of these Christian communities for the government to take action, at least preemptive action against the Islamists who are attacking them, the attacks continue. And there was recently an attack when uh, a number of people were killed, including a, a pastor of a church, and the number of Christians being killed is increasing all the time. And the Islamists, in this case the Fulani herdsmen, who were conducting the attack, announced that this was a warning to all Christians not to try to convert Muslims to Christianity, because look what the result would be. So. It's a horrendous example of vicious uh, 
Islamic persecution of Christian communities, and it's it's got to stop. People have really got to speak up about it. So, you know, our hearts uh, certainly go out to um, the families of these most recent victims um, and to this congregation who has lost their pastor, uh, this evangelical church in Zikpak. Um, the victims, uh, the most recent victims, have come from Baptist, Anglican, and Roman Catholic congregations, uh, and so these Fulani herdsmen are, you know, they're they're uh, they're not selective in terms of their Christian targets. Any Christian will do, um, and we we want to be we want to not only be ardently play, praying, we want to be uh, coming alongside them in ways that are tangible to to appeal to the Nigerian government. Uh, to step in and protect all of their citizens, not just uh, not just those who are Muslim. It's a it's really a a tragic tragic story. Uh, David, let's um let's talk again. You and I have talked frequently about what's going on in Hong Kong. Um, they were due to uh, have an election. That election has now been postponed. Talk with us about uh, why this matters, uh, how it happened, and why this matters. Well. Carrie Lam, who is the uh, administrator of the special uh, administrative zone of Hong Kong, which of course is under the control of Beijing and the Communist Party, says that she has to do this because of the danger of the coronavirus affecting the elections and whether people can safely turn up to vote. But many of the opposition Democratic candidates wanted to use this election to send a signal to Carrie Lam and to the Communist Party of China that they were really fed up with Beijing's squeezing control over Hong Kong and the imposition of this national security law. And they wanted the vote to be a demonstration of an almost universal opposition to what's going on. And the postponement of the elections, of course, lets her and the Communist Party off the hook for at least a few more weeks until they reschedule the elections. When we talk about the postponement of democratic elections, um, you know, there's... Oh, this is a this is a this is terrain. I'm not even sure I want to step into. But, you know, there there is talk every once in a while of uh, of changing an election date or postponing something we have seen here in the United States. Um, the the postponement of some uh, primary elections because of the coronavirus. Um, talk with us about the importance uh, globally. Talk with us about the importance of U.S. elections happening on time, happening efficiently and everyone accepting the results? Well, the United States is an exceptional country because it's the longest-lasting, most effective democratic political experiment in the whole world. It's a free republic, and all of the institutions have been tested and tried and sometimes modified here and there for the last, uh, you know, nearly 200 years. And it's worked. And as long as the system has worked in the United States, America has been able to be a vanguard of democratic governance and change all over the world. If there were any postponement, first of all, I think it's against the law. It's against 
the United States law to change the date of the elections, which was formulated, you know, way back 100 years ago. So this would be a very serious and perhaps catastrophic change if suggestions by President Trump went ahead and the election were had to be postponed and it would require approval by both the House and the Senate, which I don't think is very likely at this point. Completely agree. Thank you for, uh, you know, it just always helps to have um, a wise, seasoned uh, view of things. And con- the contribution to the conversation that you offer is uh, is important. And so thank you so much. Thanks again for joining us today. We look forward to catching up with you on Global Headlines every week. All right, Carmen. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Have a blessed week. We'll be right back. All right, so there is a tropical storm very likely soon to become a hurricane bearing down on the southern east coast of the United States. Um, Why bring this up? Um, Well, because one of the things you're going to hear is that uh, people need to have an exit plan. And I think that conversations about an exit plan um, are interesting. And it's an interesting opportunity to talk about what our exit plan is. What's your what's your exit strategy? Um, not just in, you know, maybe in relationship to a job, but what's your exit strategy in terms of life? Like, where where are you planning to go? And is there a place prepared for you there? Um, will your family recognize you when you arrive? Uh, and will the doors be opened? Like, right? These are good opportunities, good gospel conversation opportunities. Uh, anytime that you see in a headline or in a uh, in a news conversation, something about an exit plan. The other uh, interesting conversation that I think we can have, and I surfaced this last week as we enter into hurricane season, you are going to see uh, a a really dramatic intersection here uh, of states where there are um, coronavirus or COVID-19 um, procedures in place restricting travel, restricting people staying in close uh, quarters with one another, restricting the kind of, hey, everybody pile into my house uh, kind of things that are required when people need to flee the coast and they need to, you know, they need to find lodging with family and friends um, or they need to access a uh, an emergency shelter. So just think about all of that. Consider how your church might uh, might offer itself up in the midst of all of this as a place where there probably is space for some social distancing where you might be able to accommodate Uh, those who need to flee a storm. And I know for those of you who are in the upper Midwest, you're saying, well, hey, it's too far. It's too far to come where we are. Um, Well, then let's be prepared to send help when help is needed after the storm. All right, friends, what a great day. What a great way to start the day with you. Please get into the word of God before you get out there into the world that he so loves. If you want to Somewhere encouraging to start? Oh, gosh. Visit Romans 5. If you haven't been in Romans 5 lately, um, spend a little time in Romans 5. That's where I've been this morning. And let me just tell you, it's a reminder of peace. It's a reminder of joy. It's a reminder of how we endure suffering. It's a reminder of the presence of God with us by the power of his spirit. Whoo! All right. Romans 5. Let me send you there. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.